life is not without pain, but it is also not without joy and pleasure. And pleasure, ugh. pleasure is a word that I know that in many circles is seen as like a tainted word. Like, oh, do not give in to the pleasure. But, you know, our senses, all of our senses are things a part of our body and they are beautiful. This is Keep the Mess, messy conversations with messy people, where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I am a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and wanted to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, others are as well. So welcome, fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend Daisy. I feel blessed to have been able to have this conversation with her. She is someone who I met over a decade ago and didn't really think I would meet again, and I'm glad for the surprise. Parts of this interview were triggering for me as we get into some touchy topics having to do with trauma, gender, and sexuality. However, the common thread throughout is embodiment and care, which Daisy talked about with eloquence. Content warning for mentions of physical abuse, verbal abuse, transphobia, and abortion as well as talk about BDSM, rape, and suicidality. And lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them on all matters, or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things correctly, but about people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting and communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair, so I ask for a listening ear and some grace. All right, here's my interview with Daisy. Right. Uh, yeah. So my first question is, how do we know each other? Well, we met at college, now university, mm-hmm. and in a LGBTQ and ally, like, was it a support group or a... I don't even know how to describe it necessarily. It was like a informational, but also support, but also like discussion. There's all sorts of things. Yeah, I I was actually talking to someone else about this, and it it wasn't officially a support group, but it really was in yeah. the end. But yeah, I I remember. Yeah, you were you were really kind and and warm and and it's it's just really funny looking back because you and I were very different people back <laughs> yes. then. Uh, I was it was open to queer people and allies and I went in to learn and be an ally uh, because I knew that I was incredibly ignorant. Uh, and that many things that I had been raised to believe were incorrect about queer people. 
So I wanted to learn to love and listen. Mm-hmm. Then I very quickly learned that <laughs> I was a part of the crew. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And yeah, I'll just say here, we met each other before either of us had sort of the glint in our eye about transition. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And I think I just heard about yours from other people later. I I never saw you until like it was just a couple months ago at a friend's yes. wedding. We Yes. Like I knew of you and I knew that you were cool and and that you had gone through certain hardship and that you were transitioning. And then suddenly I saw you. I'm like, oh, I, I knew that person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing you and just being elated to, mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was really good to see you. And it was, it was a bizarre feeling because we were in it. A different state and it'd been like you know it's been it's been a while what 10 years i think it's, it's been 10 years i think it was 2000 was it 2012 that because uh, i didn't start going to that group till yeah that was my graduating yeah. year yeah which explains why we we saw each other only briefly because uh, it would have it was just yeah. that year that i went to that that group my second question is, how would you introduce yourself? What is important for others to know about you and to understand? I am definitely one who, well, just to give a little like background, uh, when I, I am trans, but I don't introduce myself as trans, mm. um, trans being transgender. For any of the people who don't know what that is. Um, when I was considering transition, I knew that it was, I knew that not transitioning was not an option. So I had to transition. And something that I committed to was that knowing that all my life up to that point, I had been trying to please and live within the confines of very strict labels that if I transitioned, I would never restrict myself to labels again, Hmm. that I would never put myself into a box again and let myself live freely as much as possible Hmm. because putting myself into a new prison of cultural expectation I knew would be unhealthy regardless of how it was set up Mm. because then they would stymie my my growth so uh, I would introduce myself today as Daisy and I am a lesbian (laughs) and that's the only label that I really lean into just because I like the sound of it and uh, it lets 
ladies who are interested know that I am here <laughs> and I am queer. <laughs> so to some degree, it's also to indicate to men to not try and uh, pursue me, but that never works. <laughs> they they generally don't listen. Uh, but, you know, that's a whole other <laughs> thing. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. It's, so it's both, you know, part of your identity. It's a welcoming in of certain folk and then it is supposed to be a barrier to others yes. despite it not actually working yes it's an open door to people who might be cautious and know that i am that's i i, I enjoy and love women and i'm a woman so I, i'm sorry i'm i am just i find it strange although i really shouldn't that you calling yourself a lesbian does not deter men from being, uh, for pursuing. Yeah. They, um, from my experience, uh, you know, there's, there's different types of social media that we're a part of and I have it very cool. I, deliberately have that included i know that it might invite discrimination mm. and it does sometimes but i feel it more valuable to have that bit out in social media and typically if men tried to pursue me in those contexts they just didn't read it mm -hmm. and if it's in social situations where i communicated it they will voice this that they will ask the question of, well, have you ever been with a man? How do you know? Unless you try it. And, um, and usually the assumption there is also that it's in regards to trying genitals, not really trying men necessarily. Hmm. Uh, because that's what their focus is on. Hmm. They'll usually comment in regards to that. And and then I just gently remind them that there are plenty of implements for that. And also, I really don't care what kind of genitals the woman I date has anyway. Because hmm. I'm interested in the person. Hmm. And anything additional to that you know, I make do. I don't really have much of a preference. I feel like there's probably some things in there that we'll get back to, but I'll yeah, I'll move on from now for now. Um, so our major question is, how do you relate to your body? How have the different experiences you've had affected your body and your relationship to it? Mm. How do I relate? I'll just add to that, uh, not just your experiences, but like aspects of who you are. Yeah. Well, I definitely have to break this down. I'll probably need a reminder of what the, those parts, those questions are. So the first part is, how do I relate to my body? Mm. 
right? Mm -hmm. So I would say that my body is an extension of self. I don't think that it is completely separate. It's very interconnected. I know that when my body changes, I change. And I change because my body changes. So it's lots of, you know, back and forth. Brain chemistry and emotions, you know, they're all connected, but, you know, my body doesn't necessarily make all the choices. But in some ways, it does make choices, and that changes how I perceive things. Um, I see the value and importance of what I put in my body and how that affects me and what I choose not to. And taking care of it is very important because I know how much it affects how I feel. Mm. And in terms of transition, it's it's just like the habits of brushing your teeth or combing your hair. You don't need to do it. You can live without it. But your rotten teeth will cause you pain, which will affect the rest of your life. So why wouldn't you choose to clean your teeth? It will also shorten your life. Yes, indeed. It will also shorten your life and make everything a bit less enjoyable and affect other ways that you can enjoy life, like eating food, which is <laughs> wonderful. And what's the next part of the question? <clears throat> the others were, how have the different experience you've had and the asp different aspects of your life affected your body and your relationship to it? I would definitely say that before transition, I did not like my body. And because of that, I made a lot of decisions to, what's the word for it? I chose to neglect important things about my body mm. in exchange to invest in other people because I felt so uninvested in my own body and life that I felt, well, at least I can make somebody else um, happy and enjoy their life. And so it was really significant in how much more I cared about my body when it suddenly looked so much more familiar mm. and so much more correct. Now I am much more careful and courteous towards my body and kind towards it and see my beauty and I've, I've been in 
a few, I've gotten many injuries throughout my life, broken bones, sprained bones, car accidents, uh, led to a major surgery uh, where I had to have a rib removed. Pretty crazy story. Uh, that I still have ghost pain of where it once was, but I, you know, it, it reminds me of how much I am connected to it and how there's that memory of each of those injuries and more careful about protecting myself in certain situations, knowing that I have value and my body has value. I, I find it fascinating that when I ask you about how you relate to your body, what you go to immediately is care. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, and I, I know I do this as well, I immediately think about pain mm. and difficulty. And you certainly are talking about that, but your go-to is care. Yeah. Life is not without pain, but it is also not without joy and pleasure. And pleasure, ugh. pleasure is a word that I know that in many circles is seen as like a tainted word. <laughs> like, oh, do not give in to the pleasure. But, you know, our senses, all of our senses are uh, things, a part of our body. And they are beautiful. And even the, the the sense of danger, it may be connected to pain and suffering, but it's also connected to comfort and relief because you sense no danger, but still mm -hmm. sensing something. And being able to breathe and know that you can rest in a space or with somebody and know that you don't have to worry about danger. Mm. That's a whole body sense that, you know, that'll give you goosebumps or <laughs> uh, just like all your muscles relaxing. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, as you're talking, I, I am sensing my own body and the tension in it. I've uh, been experiencing a number of stressful things lately. And my whole body uh, tenses up and, and I'll feel it, you know, in my stomach, like my eating is affected or I yeah, noticed that yeah. I, my jaw was so tense that there was this fluttering thing happening in my ear because the tension had, had caused uh, that to happen. And, you know, it's a, um, 
it's related to hypervigilance, which is when you are always, you always feel danger around you. And what you're talking about is the opposite. It's the release and the, the relief from that sensation yes. and recognizing you are safe. Yes. Mm. Hypervigilance is something that I was definitely raised on. One of the things that I did greatly value from my father was his, his great amount of strategy to be vigilant and have an exit plan and to protect myself, to be safe and know when to run and when to fight. And uh, I definitely got obsessive about it in many parts of my life. And so it's a bit of a default for myself as well. I remember discussing with one of my friends, she was concerned about her safety in the city. And I was like, well, you know, if you're in this context, you just do this and this and this. And if they approach you like this, you do this. And I've gone through every scenario in my head mm. for hours and hours and hours of dissociating, imagining these terrible encounters and figuring out how I'm going to approach it. How am I going to avoid it? What if this doesn't work out? This is what I'm going to do. And I remember her being, uh, saying, I never considered those things. Mm. Like, yeah, well, I've thought about it around a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so now noticing and understanding that, like, yeah, maybe living in that hypervigilance all the time is really not good for you. Yeah. I sometimes I seek the danger on purpose in a controlled setting to get a confirmation like, oh, I know what to do in this con context, and then deliberately step out of that threatening context. Hmm. Be like, and now I can let go. Hmm. Now I am safe. See, you are ready. You don't need to be ready all the time. This is a safe place. You have the strategies ingrained in you. You don't have to have them activated. I'm wondering, what do you mean by putting yourself into situations and then getting out of them? Do, do you mind explaining? <laughs> no, what you I mean? don't mind. Uh, <laughs> so there are. <laughs> this is going to go into a whole <laughs> other uh, subject. Uh, I I don't know how much we want to go into this, but rabbit trails are acceptable. Yeah. Okay. All right. Or approved, in fact. So, I am into a few things that would be under the label of uh, BDSM. Okay. For people who don't know what that is, uh, it is it stands for. Now I can't even remember what the first letter stands for. So, I believe bondage, 
right? Bond is it bondage? Yeah, it has okay, to be so bondage. Bondage, be uh, domination, I believe, and then uh, sadism and masochism, mm -hmm. and it's something you know that for people who don't know about it, it can really be stuck into one specific type. But for me, it is, uh, I do lean towards the masochistic side and the bondage side. Uh, the I suffer from claustrophobia and in the regular world I feel very defensive and anxious about being restrained in any way shape or form mm. through many ex actual experiences of bad things happening due to that and also you know it's an understandable thing to be concerned about but Regardless, I will um, deliberately seek out being tied up in rope, for example, mm. in a controlled setting with somebody who has my safety on their mind as a top priority to restrain me. And it is something that is like walking a tight wire because if um, sometimes deliberately sometimes not deliberately my body will shift into defense mode and mm. panic and try to be free but part of the experience is that it's not permanent and I'm not in danger. So I feel the restraint and I consider it a hug, but I also consider it danger. Mm. And then when this, what we call a scene, when the scene is over, I'm, and it's, you know, it can play out in many different ways for certain people, but sometimes it's just being tied up and then being untied, mm. then I can feel myself free and know that I'm safe now mm. and be able to, there's a very important part of BDSM where there is aftercare, mm. uh, where you and the person you played with, or, you know, it could be whatever feels most comfortable with each individual, but you do something that makes you both feel at rest and comforted and reassured that you were doing this for play. This was not um, out of hatred or animosity or against each other's will. It's very consensual and you're both safe. Mm. And you both care about each other. Mm. And so then there's that relief that release of energy and you drink water plenty of water and eat food <laughs> and get mm. some you know rest mm. 
so on this podcast, I've been open about the fact that I'm in sexual recovery. Um, and you and I have talked about that briefly and yes. um, have differing perspectives on, on what okay. that means. But um, I, I've spent a great deal of my life in this place of compulsion and shame and and viewing myself in in demeaning and degrading ways mm-hmm. um and so this is the the bdsm world is one that i have some familiarity with not a great deal but some familiarity with um because the idea of being uh hurt or punished was definitely my area yeah um but what i'm and and that hasn't for me that hasn't been a good place um yeah i don't yeah it hasn't been a good place and i I think a big reason for that is as you were talking about the idea of this experience and then having aftercare i was thinking of a a version of that which is actually not caring my experience was um, fear and there being anger and um, experiencing this feeling of being like like very um, very bad and experiencing pain and then being hugged by this same person. Yeah. But I did not feel what you felt. Mostly what I felt was just this utter confusion. Right. I was in this sort of wild and unsafe space and then also experiencing comfort. And so for me... The idea of being in pain and un- and discomfort and um, sort of dangerous spaces, I link with love. Um, and that's led me to being in places that are not safe for me. Yeah. Because I think that that's love, right? Right. Um, but when you talk about this, it sounds very different to me. Yes, I, I too have, uh, I definitely grew up in an abusive household, physical abuse, verbal abuse, mental abuse directed at me or directed somebody that I loved, Mm. uh, daily Mm. for many years. And I was raped in high school by somebody that I thought I could trust. Somebody that I told no, and they did not listen. And restrained me. And for me, BDSM is a reclaiming of those experiences 
reclaiming the power and the control. So much of it is a deliberate play on power exchange. Mm. There's the terminology of submissive and dominant. And many people who aren't too familiar or even people who are in the community may not fully understand is that the dominant pretends to have all the power. But the submissive is the one who has the true power because they are sacrificing. They are opening themselves to be vulnerable. They choose what is allowed. And with one word, it ends. Now, it can go, it should go both ways in regards to that, where also the dominant, if they're uncomfortable with something, they also have a word to end it. Or, you know, if you can't speak, there's a gesture or something to communicate. This is over. Scene is done. And even when the scene is done, you go through it without having to use the word. It has been decided that it is over. And whatever thing you were pretending, whatever thing you were playing out, you have the control to say it is done. Mm. I end this. Mm. And you go into it both knowing that you are both valuable and beautiful and this is no in no way an expression of your your value or your place mm. you are valuable mm. there is no doubt and you know personally i'm not into degradation Mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually into praise. Mm. Uh, one of the great things about this game is sometimes it's finding what you feel like you don't deserve or feel like you can't have. Mm. And in this little fantasy, you get to have it. So sometimes if you're feeling like, you don't deserve praise, but you really would like some. You don't feel like you could have encouragement because so many people have told you that it's a sign of weakness to ask for help or to get an encouraging word every step of the way of doing an activity. To be told, you're doing a great job. You feel really wonderful. And mm -hmm. When it's in the game, it feels even better because you don't feel that fear of somebody judging you for having that encouragement, as twisted as that may seem. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's not just about pain and bringing people down, it's mm -hmm. also about building people up and 
helping them get their chores done in a happy and enjoyable way or to take care of themselves. Mm. Like, have you eaten every, uh, for every meal today? Good job. That's wonderful. So proud of you. Mm. Things that, you know, uh, us as adults, it's like, oh, well, you don't need that. <laughs> You're an adult. Yeah. You should just be motivated. Well, you know, we're not just adults. We are zero through what age we are now. We're not just 35 to give out a number. You know, we, we, the person who we were when we were 15 is still part of us. We still remember it. We still feel it. We still grew into it. Our bodies aren't fully you know, recycled cells, you still have that memory. I'm, I'm missing a rib. I still feel that rib. It's still there in memory. It still affects me, even if it's missing. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think something that I have recognized in recovery is is that things are not black and white and that uh, that there are, are ways of having different different experiences in general but you know d different sexual experiences that I viewed as only demeaning that don't have to be. Yeah. And I, I think I've, I've appreciated that and, and definitely want to thank you for sharing something that, um, you know, people have a lot of different ideas about. I, you know, I started off being very afraid of this concept of BDSM mm -hmm. and, only knew very, very little, but knew it was like, oh, this is of the devil, you know, mm. and uh, was exposed to it by a previous partner and realized how much I already enjoyed many parts of it. I just didn't know mm. that's what it was called or that that was an option. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not a replacement for therapy, but it can be very therapeutic. Mm. It can reveal things that you didn't know were inside you. Mm. It's very revealing. Mm. A couple of times now you've, you've mentioned that you're missing a rib. And specifically, you said something very interesting earlier about ghost pain. That's correct. And, and you know, feeling the ghosts of your body and the different experiences that you've had. Yeah, could you just expand on what that means for you and what has led you to 
to where you are now, like through all of those experiences? Yeah. Um, ghost paint, I mean, I haven't done too much research on it, but from what I have learned, it is this very strange phenomenon that happens on many different contexts, usually missing, it's more prominently obvious with missing limbs of people who had a limb and then lost it later in life. Um, they can have aches of those spaces, even people who are paralyzed, um, even though they technically speaking don't shouldn't feel anything below their neck. Mm -hmm. They do. And they feel this pain, this discomfort, this itch that they can't scratch because it's not there mm -hmm. in the physical world. But, you know, I mean, it's not there in the physical world as much as your mind is not also your brain, which is a part of the physical world, but you know, it's something that's imagined that you can't escape. It's real in that you are experiencing it. So I will get these aches, this feeling of a, you know, usually people don't, feel their ribs necessarily because it's just it's there but if you were missing one you would know that you were missing it because something is not in place mm -hmm. it's actually kind of like transition in a way um, before transition like you feel like something's missing you can't really explain it and then that that hole is filled for once and you're like wow you know i it's not i'm happy it's that I feel whole. Mm. I feel complete. Mm. Um, this way, I don't, I feel incomplete, but just as it is a mental thing, I try to comfort that empty space in my rib cage. It's okay. Your sacrifice was not in vain. It brought the rest of the body relief. And I thank you for that. And you often wear a necklace <laughs> with your rib. On. Yes, I still actually physically have it, which is kind of a miracle in itself. Um, and I will, I will hold it to remember it has become a great symbol of all of my life suffering mm. stored up in that rib to say that I survived, I endured. I actually have written on it in Chinese, uh, endurance, perseverance. Because all the suffering, I made it. And so I can do it again. Mm. For the joys of life. 
Mm. You were talking about how this is similar to transition and and how your experience of transition has made you feel complete. Um, yes. Uh, this is a question that will touch a, on a, a tender subject specifically for people who are trans, but I, I feel like I can't avoid it. Because mm-hmm. um, you were talking about having ghost pain, something was there that isn't there. And you have gone through um, physical transition as well. Correct. And there is a part that was there that is no longer there. Did you ever have, have you ever had that experience in that part of your transition? Um, <laughs> I will say that this is, this is, this is going to be uh, kind of humorous in, in my opinion. Well, good. Uh, good. There has definitely been times uh, in my life uh, since transitioning, where I will panic because I begin to feel severe cramps and realize that I don't have any tampons on me. Mm. And I will be so worried suddenly that I'm going to make a mess and the clothes are going to be ruined mm. and then i'm reminded that i do not have a uterus <laughs> mm. and i do not have ovaries and i'm not going to be bleeding and it's going to be fine <laughs> mm. <laughs> and i even had uh roommates who uh, there was this <laughs> There was this one point where there was this piece of trash that looked very, very similar to a um, IUD. Hmm. And my roommate panicked because she thought that my IUD had fallen out. <laughs> and she like contacted me and she was like, oh my God, are you okay? I, I, I don't. Like, I saw this thing, and then just, like, all of a sudden, the realization of, like, no, I don't need one of those. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and another time where, uh, um, the very unfortunate news that has recently occurred of uh, Roe v. Wade being removed, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my roommates called me to say that she would drive me to as far as Oregon to help me get an abortion if I needed it. And it's like, to, to fill in a, a random name, Jill, I, I really appreciate your care and concern for me. I'm probably not going to get pregnant. Though. <laughs> are these are these friends who are aware that you're trans? Yes, yes. Are interesting. But you know, it's just it's so much. There's there's so little difference between how you know we see each other, 
and mm. how we're perceived that, you know, we, we both forget sometimes that I might not be exactly um, the model anatomy that mm. one would assume. So. It's interesting. I've, I've had many times where, um, where I feel like I, I have like a, a phantom penis, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, as if I had one yeah. and then it was removed. Yeah. And, and it is that sort of aching sort of experience or like, well, what if someone knows that I'm aroused? I'm like, well, <laughs> they're not, they're not going to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that boner will always be secret. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so this is, uh, this is not a, a fact-based podcast. So I don't know if this is really accurate, but I remember reading somewhere that having phantom limb like having that experience was helpful with prosthetics oh um yeah okay i believe i believe that's true um I, I mean that sounds to me that sounds like it makes sense and so on the one side it causes this it can cause this pain um, right but there are certain psychological like ways that people have like therapeutic ways that people have um used to help relieve that pain for people but if this is accurate there's also a place for it and there's something that's useful about it there's a way that it can be used for care right yeah which yeah i think just sort of fits along with some of the things we're talking about right yeah um hmm and I, I, w I will add, mm. uh, I do have a vagina, mm -hmm. and it is fully functional, and it doesn't feel new. Mm. It doesn't feel strange. It doesn't feel out of place. It's like it always was, and I don't remember what it felt like before. Mm -hmm. And I don't know anymore what it was like, because this is just how I always imagined myself from a very, very young age. So, mm -hmm. so many people, I, I have not shared this with many people at all, but for those who do hear about it, one of the most common responses was I hope you're happy mm. and my response to that is it has nothing to do with being happy I just now am I am myself mm. again I don't feel out of place anymore I feel whole nothing feels out of place when I feel, when I go through my senses of my body, everything feels normal. Mm -hmm. Everything feels right. Yeah. 
I just, I find that very moving. Yeah. Yeah, I know I wanted to talk to you on this podcast because when when we met again at the wedding and were chatting for a while, I thought, oh, this person is actually good with where they're at. They, like, she celebrates yeah. her body. And, and that, unfortunately, is such a uncommon experience for, given who I am and who my friends are, it's an uncommon experience for me to hear about. Um, I mean, body dysmorphia, which is a term that means having distress regarding your body, um, is very common amongst cis people and trans people alike. Everybody experiences, uh, well, not everybody, but anybody can experience body dysmorphia on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely would say that <laughs> one of my uh, current life um, crises is that I've achieved my goals in regards to my body. I've achieved them all. And so much of my life for a little while was just to try and get there. And now that I've got there, I have to figure out what to aim for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, I done it. I did it. It's, it's here. I am myself. And now I have to uh, find new motivations to... Enjoy the life that I live. Mm. So it's not, not, you know, it's not a, it's not a great crisis. <laughs> it's actually a, a wonderful crisis, but it's, it's a funny one. Yeah. Mm. I think I'm just thinking about the, the painful experiences that you have had, how surprising and how wonderful it is that here is where you have landed. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you think you could talk about the, yeah, I guess about where you started and how you got here? Uh, could That's a you, huge question, uh, isn't it? Yeah, because you unravel what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, Hmm. So I met you in one state. Yes. And then I met you again in a different state. Yes. How did that story go? Well, in regards to being transgender, I have known for a very, very, very long time that something wasn't right that I identified as a woman but something went screwy in my physical development in the womb uh, 
before I was who I am and before I was alive. And so some things were crossed. I remember in child therapy at the age of five, telling my therapist a story about a child who always dreamed of being a girl and once upon a time they got their wish and they became a beautiful princess. And I told her, that's me. Mm. It's really me. This is what I am. This is what I wish. And how it seemed the uh, later on, I learned that how it was that relationship was set up was that the therapist would tell my parents mm-hmm. about the things I discussed. And this was one thing that the therapist chose not to share. Mm. And I wonder if that therapist chose to protect me because Mm -hmm. she knew that I grew up in a conservative Christian home and I might be in danger. But as I grew up from that point, I learned that being who I wanted to be, acting as I wanted to, how I wanted to grow and have a personality, it's not fully acceptable to the cultural norms that were expected of me. And so I had to pretend. I had to hide who I really was. And began to believe that who I really was was wrong. And that I was the only one. I didn't grow up in the age of the internet. And uh, when the internet was finally mainstream, I had very, very limited access until I reached uh, college. I did not know even the word transgender, but I do remember um, when I was young reading a storybook about a character who was identified as a hermaphrodite. And I wondered if that was real or possible. And I remember my mom telling me, because I asked her about it, I remember my mom being very uncomfortable about this subject and dismissing it as saying it is incredibly rare and it's not good. For people who are listening who don't know, intersex people are generally uh, identified as 1% of the population, which means that in one in every hundred people, there's an intersex person, which in the country, in our country, you know, 300 
million people. That means that there is three million people who are intersex. That's a lot of people. (laughs) And uh, transgender people, people who specifically identify as transgender, is from the last uh, large survey, statistically significant survey, 2016, 0.4% identify as transgender. So there's more than two times more intersex people than trans people Mm. who are open about it and who actually know that they are, because it could definitely be more than that. Definitely would be more than that. For those who don't want to share it, or people who don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to my story, um, growing up and then going to that group where I met you, finally heard the word transgender for the first time ever and went, oh shit. <laughs> I actually am not alone. And there's a thing. <laughs> there's an actual, like, there's a process here you can actually achieve wholeness and suddenly all these doors I didn't know existed appeared and my response was no 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 I'm fine I I totally I'm, I'm over it I'm obviously just over it it was just a phase and uh, definitely did not play out that way. I became more distressed than ever, knowing that there was a possibility to be my true self. And then great fear of what if, what if people all hate me for pursuing this wholeness? What if, what if I don't like it? What if I'm wrong? What if I don't actually want this? What if it's a lie? But then, as I said earlier on in this interview, I realized that not changing was not an option. I had to do something. Where I was was not good. I didn't love myself. I didn't love my body. I felt I didn't feel expendable. I wanted to be expended. What do you mean? I was willing to sacrifice all my joy, all my potential joy, all of my potential time to just helping other people because I didn't think it was worth it to be happy Hmm. because I didn't feel that I could achieve it. Didn't feel in grasp, in my grasp. And so I decided that, you know, I, I was worth it, just like everybody else. And that the energy that I put into other people, I should be putting into myself as well. And I was a person just like them. Mm. And trying was, would at least get me an answer. Mm. So I did. 
changed my life. And now I'm so much, so much better for it. Hmm. And, you know, I, I walk down the street. I go to the stores. I talk to people. Nobody knows the difference. They just see a confident, joyful woman. The only times that people are terrible is when they know from me telling them or somebody else telling them. There's no other change of behavior. They still, you know, treat me just like any other woman. I, I, I remember having a conversation with a family member who was worried about me saying, you're going to lose a lot of privilege by transitioning. Do you think it's worth it? And I was like, if it was about the privilege, absolutely not. <laughs> if it was, if it was about uh, getting every advantage by racism and sexism alone, no. But it's not about that. It's just about being who I am it's about self-care it's about health mental health and physical health mm. and uh, I don't think anybody in their right mind could see my life as a whole and say that I haven't improved dramatically mm. I've been curious, you know, because I, I heard about you from other people while you were on this journey before I, before I saw you. Yeah. And I remember hearing about your accident, your car accident, which led to years of pain, I believe. Yes. Years yes. of pain. Um, very, very bad, very constant pain. And I was wondering, was that car accident and the, you know, the pain that came next and then, you know, eventually, you know, getting your, your rib removed and all of this, did that affect your transition? Uh, yes, it was actually the catalyst. That was what I was wondering. I always felt like it was, but I, I yes. realized that I didn't actually know that from yes. you. Um... I will tell you that, you know, people, when it comes to spiritual encounters, it's, it's never possible to really confirm or deny the existence of them. It's kind of like phantom pains or ghost pains, you know, mm -hmm. it's real because you experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, who knows if it actually was or not in the physical realm or that anybody could technically observe it. Mm. Um, but one night, uh, another one of those sleepless nights of extreme constant pain. Uh, I having to, having been emotionally raw from, you know, just being great sadness constantly. I came face to the face with the fact finally admitting that a transgender individual and I was a woman and, and I just 
knowing that was that was true and i was ready to bury that but i admitted it at least mm. and i just was like yep this is a thing but i really don't want to follow through with anything more than that mm-hmm. i'll just keep it a secret forever but in that moment i felt that i had a spiritual encounter with my deity with god God spoke to me, that I I visualized them in a very opaque cloud. You could feel their facial expression. Mm. Very kind and gentle smile. Acknowledging how proud they were of me, knowing my true self. Because they say in the Bible at least, that God wants us to come to them as we are. Mm. That we should be our true selves. So I felt their their joy Mm. in me finding who I really was. And then their words after that really got me upset. Because they said, tell them. And I was like, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) You're telling me to come out to be my true self? I I don't think that's safe. Doesn't sound like it's going to be a good time. It's going to be a lot of work. Mm. I have a lot of good excuses to not do that. Also, I had to deal with this whole rib and pain thing and uh, I don't have a job and, you know, I really don't really feel like living at this point. Mm. Like, are you sure that that's a good idea? Mm. (laughs) And just felt God uh, just continued big smile not changing and then just drifting away like you know the answer and just vanishing out of sight or out of out of sight and uh out of vision and and from then on i i knew that i wasn't getting out of it Mm. that choosing to not come out choosing to not live my true life would be the greatest mistake. Mm. And that how, however much discomfort I might have at the beginning, it would turn out for the better. Just had to commit. And mm. so I did. It took two years or three years from that point because I wanted to do extensive research. I wanted to make sure that I understood what the fuck I was getting myself into. Mm. And uh, and then it was just, here we go, going for it. You said something about not wanting to live. Did I catch that right? Yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. Mm. I... There was definitely moments where I hoped that the pain was great enough that I wouldn't wake up the next morning. Mm. 
it was so intense and uh, there was no relief and you know just like an itch uh, that you can't scratch it was like 100 knives dabbed into my shoulder and arm and with every movement it was worse but at rest at the most comfortable and peaceful space it was hell on earth it was misery I did get that relief eventually and uh, but I, I will never forget that experience I'll never forget that pain and nothing I've experienced since then has ever come close to that level of pain. Yeah. You were, as you were telling me this, like about this excruciating pain, you smiled afterwards. <laughs> yes. I was wondering why, why that was. Uh, my relationship with pain has shifted to something that's, uh, you know, reclaiming in the same kind of way. You know, so I, I really value the concept of turning something horrible into something beautiful. Mm. Uh, like, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures of people having their scars turned into beautiful tattoos mm -hmm. or integrated into beautiful tattoos or, um, you know, getting symbols or getting things that look or remind them of something horrible and made it into something beautiful. And, uh, I, my, for, from, you know, a young age, actually, I've, dealt with pain and suffering uh, I've coped with pain and suffering with humor with uh, strong countering of of finding uh, something to laugh about and uh, so it's, it's kind of just a natural thing to do for me now is to just kind of smile about some of the worst things that have yeah. happened to me and uh but also like to some degree i enjoy pain mm. not that kind of pain mm -mm. for sure and not a lot of different types of pain but there is uh, pain that i get to choose mm -hmm. that i like that doesn't damage my body that doesn't cause me any permanent damage or even, you know, beyond an hour of lingering uh, feeling, you know. But I get to choose it and it's fine. And I like it. Yeah, I, uh, so I, I experience chronic pain and I remember you know, I think bringing up to my therapist of, you know, I, 
you know, there's been time that I've hurt myself, uh, you know, for stress relief, but then also like I've had, you know, I've experienced pleasure from that as well. But I was like, but unfortunately it doesn't seem to work for my chronic pain. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's not the ones that you get to choose that, uh, or the ones that you don't get to choose that are very enjoyable. Yeah. The, uh, you can't escape those, unfortunately. And so it's, it sucks. <laughs> it, yeah. It's not good. So I, I know how that feels. I'm sorry. Mm. I do deal with my own chronic pain still. Uh, not in regards to that accident, but other pain that I have to deal with mm. um, from genetics. But um, I understand that. It's, that's not fun. It's not enjoyable. But, mm -mm. you know, you coping mechanisms, they have their place. And mm -hmm. it's good to find and utilize things that you can do that don't impede your life too much they are useful tools yes yes um and yeah i was i was about to say you know it, it's because it is not chosen pain that it's so uncomfortable <laughs> like yes yeah. there is such a different feeling about something that you choose or that you control right like i can switch this chair it's not comfortable can't can't switch out that chronic pain nope. nope just it's just there <laughs> you yeah. uh you know you you fall and you scrape your knee you can't just be like i don't like how that feels in that spot it's just it's there and you can treat it but you can't just get a new leg <laughs> mm. buy a new leg it doesn't work that way mm. yeah i know something i thought about quite a lot is uh and you've mentioned it before for yourself but um you know the experience of dissociation which of course you know is a coping a coping mechanism yeah. to deal with um to deal with stress and everything. pain <laughs> well everything but yeah um uh and i've been thinking a lot about what it means to be present you know and while fantasy i don't think is a, a bad thing it would be sad if it was because i I'm a creative person. I write. I, I, I do other things. So, so fantasy isn't bad. But I've been trying to focus on being present, being in reality. And I was wondering for you. You know, right now you, you're in this place where you feel whole and you feel complete. Um, in, in terms of your gender in your body in regards to that but you also have this chronic pain what are your practices and how are you present in both the the good and bad that is in your life um well i would say that you know i mentioned dissociation and it's something that was it wasn't just a minor coping mechanism for me. It was something that I was doing 30% of my day, every day, mm -hmm. which is a lot of time. I understand completely. And it had its place and it was what I 
it was the best that I could do in that time of my life, majority of my life at this point. But there was better coping mechanisms and better things I could have done. That's how I'm doing those now, and I was I've been doing working on them, which is you know really good therapy and facing my traumas. Uh, I do have complex PTSD. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, it's it's like post-traumatic stress disorder, but uh, the it's kind of like if you collect enough traumatic experiences, they start to overflow into each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, experiences like the car accident start flowing into uh, the rape experience. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, when I have a flashback, uh, somehow they're mixed together and or I'll be driving and I'll get anxiety about uh, you know, this or that, and it's, they all start overflowing. And uh, I didn't know that's what I was experiencing because I didn't, I tried to ignore it and just pretend. If I tried to not, if I chose to not give it uh, acknowledgement, I was led to believe that that was the best way to protect myself hide it to bury it but you know these experiences they're all a part of our lives and they need to be faced uh, when we're ready so i've been facing that in that way uh, making sure that my physical health uh, is the best that i can do within reason not stressing too much about making it the best, but also, you know, taking the time to do physical activities regularly, to go to professionals who bring pain relief, like massage therapists, Mm. and uh, taking the time to enjoy my life and do things that I enjoy and not trying to just optimize knowledge and optimize productivity. Uh, finding that balance and that uh, what I remember in church being told to seek shalom, to seek peace. What does that mean? Of, mm. uh, the, the perfect balance. Uh, so that's what I aim for now. That's what I do. I, I do lots of self-care, but that doesn't mean not facing responsibilities. Mm. In fact, I would say it's the opposite. It's, uh, Mm. you know, workaholic personalities. You you have to give yourself a break. And to get that break, then you become more productive. And there's many studies that acknowledge and confirm that that is true. Mm. Everybody needs rest. Everybody needs to sleep. Everybody needs a break. And when they get that rest, they become rejuvenated and then they can continue. And rest doesn't always have to be sleep. And finding my own pace has actually made me 
be able to do better than to try and force more time into one or the other, to try and force more enjoyment to be quote unquote more rejuvenated or to force a little bit more work uh, to reach somebody else's goal. Mm -hmm. Then I end up, if I, if I do it with my system, I do it with my pacing. I've continued to develop. I surpass my own goals and their goals. Mm -hmm. Their being whoever else is judging my work or character. (laughs) You, uh, you mentioned Shalom in there. Uh, which always makes me laugh just because our school talked about it so much that yes, even though yes. it's, it's actually something I believe in and, and think is important, I just kind of yeah. roll my eyes sometimes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Same thing with like uh, the word discernment. discernment. Yes. Discernment. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. Also a wonderful and good thing. Yes. But you were talking about Shalom and you were talking about these spiritual experiences that you've had. And, and of course you grew up in a conservative household, mm-hmm. which made things difficult for you. Yeah. I would, I would definitely say that uh, the, the type of community that I was surrounded in for most of my young life was very much a cult. I was wondering how have you, found a way of of keeping spirituality um, in your life in a way that is caring for you? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I would say that my interpretation of spirituality has always been rooted in practicality. Um, something that actually many spiritual leaders were uncomfortable with uh, because I, I didn't, I've never believed in spiritual things without trying to understand it to the greatest amount that I could. Uh, mm-hmm. So when I grew up on Protestant Christianity, um, I didn't really stick around in one denomination of Protestantism. Uh, There was a lot of shifting, a lot of moving from church to church, Um, some more closed community and more as I had said before, cultic in their practices and how closed off from society they were mm-hmm. to other ones that were more open, but, uh, you know, had their own belief systems and uh, their own interpretations of heresy and such. Mm-hmm. And um, it also led me to try and understand the quote-unquote enemy, everybody else that wasn't in my cultic circle. And I read the Quran. I read uh, parts of the Book of Mormon. I 
uh, read text regarding Hinduism and uh, Baha'ism, and I understood that Catholicism had their own uh, books that were different, and tried to understand more of how Judaism worked. And it really gave a great perspective on what people want to believe and what people are seeking and who is God. And so, you know, with many, just even like biblical translations, there's so much variety and even in the languages, because I read some of the Bible in Chinese, uh, and I have an Arabic Bible as well. Mm. Uh, I learned a little bit of Arabic in my uh, one of my education, and um, each society, each group, they all have their different words, and so you begin to see inconsistencies, and you see the consistencies, mm. and so I began to collect in my mind, the consistencies. And when I would encounter a discrepancy or inconsistency, I asked why. Hmm. Why is there an inconsistency here? Why does this not make sense? If God is a God of love, why would this be said? And I would dive deeper and say, well, you know, is this being said because of this literal thing? Or is this being said because of this conceptual thing? Or what's the story that's being told here? And so I tried to approach each part with that perspective. And in growing up, uh, my I went to the same school for 15 years uh, in lower education. So I had very conservative, very radical uh, Protestant Christian teaching. And I paid attention very, very thoroughly and won many awards in my uh, biblical understanding and read the Bible in two different versions all the way through. And I began to formulate what I saw God as. Mm. And after transitioning, there was major uh, response to with that decision uh, to transition. It could amount be negative. Uh, lots of nasty messages. Mm. And uh, I began to consider even more, what was my perspective? What, what, who, who was God and who are these people? Well, these mm. people aren't God. Mm. These people, they, they don't define who God is. God is God. Mm. They would not even deny that God is God. I am who I am. It's actually something that I say about myself often when people try and put labels on me. I am who I am. 
Mm. Nobody else can control that. And so upon this change in my life, you know, I held on to those foundations of who I believed God was and what spirituality meant via that. And I had already created a good foundation of who I was and how I was seen. God is a God of love. God is love. That seems to be a consistent message. God wants redemption. God has joy in forgiveness. God wants us to be our true selves. God does not find joy in suffering. These are all things that are consistent messages. And so as I continue to grow as a person, I ask myself, is this love? Is this, you know, how is this affecting myself and other people? Is this growth? Am I going in a better direction because of this or that decision? And that's kind of become my spirituality, I guess, mm. is having this kind of practical but also foundational evaluation of my decisions and how I express myself. Just because God is a God of love doesn't mean that... I get to do whatever I want. Mm. Doesn't mean I get to enjoy everything. But when I do pursue things like, how is this going to affect me long term? How is this going to affect me short term? How is this going to affect others in the long term? How will my legacy be a hundred years from now? Mm. What will be considered morally or what, what will be considered immoral a hundred years from now that I may have never considered mm. now because, you know, of the way our society is. Mm. I, I think upon many figures that people are honored, like Martin Luther King Jr., people, you know, this guy was, had this vision, had this dream all these really good things. He made bad decisions. He had made mistakes. He did things that we could judge. But is he defined by these mistakes? Or is he defined by what he was pursuing? Could he have done it a better way? But he wanted good. He wanted things to be better than how he started in it. And that's what I hope to do, is to leave this world better than how I found it, and to leave my body better than when it started. You were uh, quoting that line of, um, I am that I am. I believe it's said that way in the Bible. Um, or is it I am who I am? It depends on the version. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's depending on the version, it says 
one of those, you know, which is this, it's a big thing when uh, Jesus says it in the New Testament. And, and then you were saying it's the way that you describe yourself sometimes. Uh, yeah. Can you, what do you mean by that? I, given that that could be looked at as a certain kind of audacious statement. Yeah, uh, I know that uh, certainly in the Bible, it was considered heresy by the Sadducees in regards to Jesus. They were very upset about that statement. Uh, For me, it's just that, you know, we as humans love labels and we love categories. We like putting things in their place. Hmm. We've made the categories. We've made the places. Things can be defined by many, many different things. You know, uh, you are Eden. Are you just that word, though? You are a person. What does that mean? You know, where did you come from? What makes a person? Are you just your flesh? No. Are you an autonomous creature? Not necessarily. You have gut bacteria that lives in harmony with you. You have bacteria all over your body that works with you. They are not you, or are they also you? They are separate, but they are equal. They're separate, but they're together. God is described as not just one, but three, but also one. It is the ultimate community. Three together. Are they one body? No. Maybe. They converse with each other. Do you do that to yourself? Talk to yourself? People say they have voices in their head or they have conversations with themselves. Some people have multiple voices and even personalities in themselves. Mm -hmm. Are they one? Are they multiple? Yes and no. Are you your mind? Is not your mind a part of your brain? Your brain thinks and has chemicals and hormones and dopamine and oxytocin and these chemicals that can make your decisions but are they actually making your decisions or are you making decisions well yes and no do we have spirits can we as spirits exist outside of our bodies maybe but is that just you or are you also you know your expressions how you feel how you smell how you hear somebody who is born who can't hear or can't talk you know we are not just our voices Mm. we're not just what we see how we perceive the world but we also are Mm. how can you fit that into you know a sentence how can you fit that into something as simple as well, I'm a woman. Show all the women, all of, all the women of the world lined up together, and you will find every 
endless possibility of individual, and yet there's still more to come, and still yet unrealized that may never come to be. But they could have. So, so who, who am I? Is it just how I perceive myself? Or is there even more to that that I don't know? I am who I am. And I'm still figuring that out. And so are other people. And who I am now will both change and stay the same tomorrow. Yeah, I'm just thinking about, I, I've been looking at old pictures of myself. Uh, and then I, I showed my friends a couple of pictures and they're like, that that's not the same person. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, I didn't, I don't recognize you in this picture. And, yeah. you know, for me, there's with, with gender, you know, with transness, it's more obvious in some ways. Uh, but it, I think that's true of all of us. Like I look back at all these pictures and I'm like, that's me. And also that's not me. Like that, that's a part of me. That's a version of me. I think you said something earlier about like, um, what is it zero to 35 like the, yes all of that is is you but like you are changing every day yes yes yeah I, I watched a video the other day uh that was on my computer I was going through my files something I, I do sometimes just to see what's there and I watched this video that I had apparently recorded and um there was a narrator and I didn't see myself in the video. And it wasn't until the end of the video that I realized that I had been the narrator. Mm. I didn't know who was talking. Mm. I had completely no recognition of that voice. I don't know who they are. Mm. Very, very strange. Very, very strange experience. And yet that's a part of your history. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're nearing the end of our time. Um, I was wondering, uh, is there anything else you want to say before we end? I would say that to the people who are listening, you know, you... You all are coming from different places in your life. I've done a lot of mentoring and uh, I reminded that everybody is going through some kind of challenge in their life. And there may be this fear of not being able to get through it, not being able to see the other side the mystery of the future. Remember that up until this point, you've continued to make decisions and choices that change your life. And every joyful moment past you 
also didn't know that those things would have happened just as much as the bad things that would have happened. Know that there is opportunity. There is positive opportunity as long as you keep moving forward and giving yourself a break sometimes. And with every suffering and painful experience, there is a chance to even make that beautiful. Don't give up. You are beautiful. You are valuable. You are loved. There's a picture of you and me and I think another friend of mine. And we're wearing those shirts. Yes, I remember this picture. So so in our whatever group it was, the queer group, the yeah. ally group, the ally group, uh, they would print these shirts that would say you are loved on them. Yes. I actually have that shirt uh, on a quilt now. I got rid of all of mine. <gasps> um, it's because I was doing a spring cleanup. <laughs> well, I move. I move every year or so and I understand that and I, I go through my things and I'm like I don't ever wear you yeah 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 but uh, I kind of regret not using them for something like a quilt but thank you for your time and for thank you sharing your story um I always feel honored in these conversations <laughs> but uh thank you yeah thank you I appreciate it On this podcast, on this podcast, podcast. <laughs>